Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause, where we talk about this time of life, mind, body, and spirit. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen. Each week, I'm joined by top professionals dropping their tips and advice. Remember, episodes drop every Tuesday. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a beat. And if you like this podcast, please rate and review it. Thank you, because this helps others to find the show. You can check out our website, find out which episodes are coming up, and get the latest blog and advice by going to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com, and get ready to thrive, not just survive, through perimenopause and beyond. Welcome to this week's episode of Thriving Through Menopause with me, Clarissa Christensen. I love herbal medicine. Let's just put it out there. I love herbal medicine. And of course, it's the oldest form of medicine known to man. We've been either eating herbs or applying them on the body, in the body, for our mind, body and soul since before records were ever written. And of course, that's evolved into different herbal medical systems. And we've talked on this show about Ayurveda, and Chinese herbal medicine, but I felt we had to address the balance and also talk about Western herbal medicine and the role that it can play in supporting women through perimenopause and menopause. And I am delighted to be joined by medical herbalist Hannah Charman, who's based in the UK. Welcome, Hannah. Thank you very much. It's really you to invite me today. And I love herbal medicine too, so I can't wait to tell you all about it. Indeed. Lovely. You are a medical herbalist. You've been a medical herbalist for nearly 25 years. You're also a hypnotherapist and a holistic health coach. And you work with women in perimenopause. Yeah. How did you get into herbal medicine? Fate played a hand in that, I think. When I was at school, I loved school. I loved learning. I was into everything. I wanted to be a vet and I knew it was very hard to get into vet school. So I pushed myself really hard with all my studies. And then I had a different hobby every night of the week. And one day when I was 14, my dad picked me up from school in the car. And on the way home, he asked if I would get something from the shop. So I couldn't get out of the car. In the space of five minutes, I'd gone from being normal, happy, healthy schoolgirl to not being able to get out of the car. And that was the start of two years of chronic fatigue syndrome that had come on in, in just a few minutes. And my mum and dad left me to see if I would get well on my own for a couple of three weeks and there was no change. So I got taken to see the GP and the GP took one look at me and spoke over me to my dad who had held me up to get me into the surgery. So it was obvious something was not right. And he basically said to my dad, she's clearly got a problem with school. You need to get her to an educational psychologist. And he looked at me and said, you need to get yourself sorted and get back to school. And that was it. That was all the help we were going to get from the medical profession. So fortunately, we were able to go and see other alternative practitioners because it was obvious that I wasn't going to get better on my own and I needed some help. So over the next two years, I got to see a homeopathic doctor and a homeopath and a hypnotherapist, which is what set me on the path to hypnotherapy and both my parents as well. And eventually I did a Reiki course. And between all of those, I got well again. So that's how I got into alternative medicine. I've worked in alternative medicine since I was 16. But the herbs chose me 
really. You get called by the herbs. <laughs> a lot of herbalists say that it's not that you choose it as a career, it chooses you. So I went straight from school to Middlesex University and trained as a herbalist. I won, somehow, I won the French prize for my GCSEs and I got a book token. And with the book token, I bought David Hoffman's <laughs> New Holistic Herbal, which wasn't new even then. It was all the pictures were black and white beardy photos taken in Finchhorn <laughs> in the early 70s. So it wasn't that new. <laughs> but that's the book that inspired me oh, to become gosh. a herbalist. <laughs> I've still got it somewhere. It's very dog eared, but I still have it. Oh, wow. So. Yeah. <laughs> what a wonderful journey, Hannah. Mm. And how did that evolve into treating women in menopause? Because then we begin a journey, but now menopause is your focus. How did that evolve out of probably what was a broad herbal base? Yeah, so I was a generalist for many years and I treated anyone and everyone. I'd still do to some extent, but I had my son when I was 38. And like most new parents, I got baby brain not surprising because you don't sleep and you're always on the go and your hormones are all over the place so I was like it'll settle and it got to about his fifth birthday and I thought well, when does this baby brain go I've still got it and then it dawned on me that actually there have been some other subtle changes going on as well and I'd gone straight from being a new mum into perimenopause um so there's a history of quite serious mental illness in my family during menopause and I definitely didn't want to go down that road so I started taking my herbs just to settle things a little bit it is a turbulent time and it's to some extent it's meant to be turbulent but not to the point where it completely disrupts your life and so I needed to carry on running the business and my son has a genetic condition which needs careful managing as well as being just a normal mum and partner I had to take my herbs and I still do take them to manage my own symptoms and then I started getting friends who were coming and patients who'd seen me in the past who wanted to come back and have their menopause symptoms looked at. And they sent their friends and they sent their friends. And before I knew where I was, about three quarters of my caseload was menopause related. And herbs are so good for menopause. It's, that's what they're made to do. So, <laughs> yeah, it works really well. Yeah, we're going to dive much deeper into that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people maybe aren't quite clear what a medical herbalist, maybe we're familiar of walking down the aisles of Holland and Barrett or wherever you live and seeing Mm -hmm. herbs. But how is going to a medical herbalist different than just buying off-the-counter stuff? The problem with off-the-counter is that it's very hit and miss. So some women strike gold and get the right remedy the first time. And others, literally, have they come to my clinic, they've tried everything for years and years. They've spent, some of them have been spending like 100 or more pounds a month on their supplements and feel that they haven't got anywhere. So the art of herbal medicine is choosing the right remedy for the person at the right time. And it's all to do with matching the herbs to the symptoms and the underlying causes, taking into account any other medication that person might be taking or any other health conditions they have, because there are contraindications with herbs I know we assume that because they're natural they must be safe and they are for the most part but you do still have to have respect for them and you do still need to have a basic idea of what you're doing the other thing with seeing a medical herbalist is that we are medically trained so we can do things like 
physical examinations. We can interpret blood test results for you. We can help to coordinate your wider healthcare team. If you're under several different practitioners, we can try and pull it all together and get everybody working together a bit better. We can offer advocacy so we can fight your corner if you're feeling a little bit vulnerable and unable to fight your corner yourself. We can help you with that. We can offer moral support. We can offer guidance on diet and lifestyle. And if you've just had a bad day, we can have a, a laugh together. So that it's not just taking the herbs. It's part of a much bigger package. And the more I work with herbs, the more I appreciate how important that package is. Actually, it's about the whole interaction between the plants and the people in that scenario that, that works the magic. And that's such a great way to describe that because it really is holistic. It's yeah. about caring for the whole person. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when you say it like that, and often I see herbal medicine being violently denigrated by allopathic practitioners as quackery and as people just doing anything and being sold anything, I think they really need to hear this yeah. because you're medically trained. You go through a long and in-depth training that has elements of similar training to clinicians, yeah. as well as a specialism in herbs. Talk a little bit more about that, Hannah, what your actual training and the training of any medical herbalist that is registered and qualified, which is the case in Europe and UK and not in the US. And yeah, absolutely. But what does that entail? I trained for four years at Middlesex University. These days, there are fewer university courses. It's more the private colleges that are training in herbal medicine, but they're at least to diploma level. Typical training is between three and five years. Um, the courses accredited by the National Institute of Medical Herbalists are extremely tough courses. If you're thinking of training as a herbalist, don't be thinking it's a walk in the park because there are even doctors who are doing these courses now who are saying that it's harder than their medical training. And we always think of medical training as being pretty hard, don't we? So it's a tough course. It's not for the faint-hearted. But we started off with basics, anatomy and physiology, some counselling skills. Then we moved on to clinical skills, which is how to do physical examinations and interpret the results. We learned diagnostic skills. We did herbal pharmacy, so how to make our own medicines from scratch. But we also had to learn orthodox pharmacology, so how orthodox drugs work and the more common ones that we use, and then how they are likely to interact with the herbs. And then we had to learn herbal materia medica, which is we had to learn about 200 different herbs and what they do and when not to use them. And then we had to learn herbal therapeutics, which is how to apply those herbs in practice. And we had to do 450 hours of hands-on clinical training. We had a training clinic at Whittington Hospital. So we had to spend 450 hours with patients and then dispensing their medicine as well. So, and then since then, if you join the uh, National Institute of Medical Herbalists as I have, you have to keep your knowledge topped up with continuing professional developments and they do monitor that. So you have to keep going with your courses and forums and your book reading and all of that good stuff just to keep your knowledge going. So incredibly in-depth. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I should say that Medical Herbalist is not a protected title. There's nothing illegal about anyone setting up as a Medical Herbalist without any training at all or any insurance. And you do need to be aware of that. If you're thinking of working with a medical herbalist, do make sure that they are properly trained, ask to see their certificates, ask to see if they're a member of a professional body, because if you should ever have cause for complaint, that professional body will help you. I do know some perfectly competent and lovely 
free range herbalists who aren't a member of anybody, but just to give you that added layer of protection. I don't really know anyone, I've never come across anyone who's called themselves a medical herbalist when they're not. I'm sure they probably are out there, but I've never found one in over 20 years. So it's an unlikely problem that you're going to encounter. You just need to be aware that's a thing. Yeah, and that's a and that's a good point. And when you talk there, I'm as a Chinese medicine practitioner, much more familiar with Chinese herbal medicine, but there's a lot of similarities. Mm. Five, six years of training. So maybe what you can talk about is how do you use herbal medicine to treat menopause symptoms? It's more than just treating symptoms. What we're doing is treating the underlying causes, even if they are decades old and also treating the symptoms at the same time. So herbs are what I call intelligent medicines. They have an energy and intelligence about them, but you can also put them into yeah. a laboratory and analyze them and see what the active constituents are and what they're likely to do. So each herb is a brilliant multitasker and it will have one or two main actions and then it will have several secondary actions. So you, they do several things at the same time. And some can be heating and some can be cooling. I know you, you're far more proficient on energetics than I am if you've done Chinese medicine. It's not, it's not such a big part of the system over here. But what we're doing is addressing the underlying causes, be that chronic inflammation or maybe leaky gut or a combination of the two. And then we build up from there. At the end of the first consultation, I've normally got a pretty good idea of what's gone wrong and which sorts of herbs we need to use. So I might use herbs that do reduce inflammation because inflammation, apart from anything else, will tend to get worse during perimenopause and we really need to keep that under wraps. And we would use the herbs in combination with dietary and lifestyle recommendations as well. Then I use nervines and adaptogens. So it's like I'm building it up from the bottom. Nervines and adaptogens are herbs that help the body to cope with stress. And stress has a huge impact on our hormones. I think we're biologically programmed for that to happen. And in a nutshell, I think it's to do with our inner cave woman. So back in the day when we would have lived a much harder life, shall we say, than we live nowadays. Say we're out in a cave and we have perceived danger of some description. It might be a threat from a neighboring tribe. It might be animals. It might be natural disasters. But your body will go into a stress response. Now. To me, it makes sense that's going to upset your hormones because for the survival of the species, it doesn't make sense to fall pregnant if your inner has perceived you're in a dangerous situation, does it? It doesn't make sense to bring a baby into a dangerous place. That's not good for the survival of the species. No. So it will upset your reproductive cycles because that's what it needs to do. So when you think about it like that, it's actually very clever. But when we're living the kind of life we live nowadays, which is chronic stress all the time, it has a huge impact on your reproductive system. It really hits home when you reach perimenopause. So hence why I put nervines and adaptogens. Nervines are herbs that work directly on the nervous system. So common ones you might have heard of would be something like St. John's wort, valerian, passionflower, chamomile. Those are all nervines. And then we use adaptogens alongside, which have a more generic kind of effect. So what they're doing is helping your body out of its stress response, even if the stressful thing is still ongoing. So ones you might have heard of would be things like ashwagandha, Siberian ginseng, licorice, those sorts of things. 
And each herb has its own superpowers. So some adaptogens will help to look after your heart and keep your blood pressure down. Some will take care of your liver. Some will take care of your digestion. And so it goes on. So what you're doing is picking the herbs that are right for what's going on for that person at that particular time based on their main actions and their secondary actions. And then finally, I use herbs that will target the individual symptoms themselves. So it might be something like motherwort, which we use specifically for palpitations and for hot flushes, which are aggravated by stress. Also, if you wake up in the night with night sweats, motherwort's very good for that. But it's also good for helping to regulate the menstrual cycle as well. And for our postmenopausal health, it's important that we hold menopause off as long as we can. We want to keep normal natural cycles going as long as possible because we need our monthly dose of estrogen yeah. to support our long-term health post-menopause. That's the, the basis of how I build my prescriptions. And then as time goes by, it might be that lady has prioritized hot flushes and insomnia as her main symptoms that she wants to start working on first. Those will get met and then we'll say, okay, well, how do we want to shift the emphasis of the prescription now? What would we like to focus on? And then I just alter the herbs accordingly. So it's very versatile. And the lovely thing about it is that the patient is always in the driving seat. So she's in charge of her own treatment. And I'm just basically picking the herb while I do. Yeah, that's beautiful because it does show that sort of layered nature of our health mm. from sim outward symptom to the underlying yeah. root cause, if we like, of what's not working. And of course, those things evolve. The symptoms are maybe have a more a symptom of what is underlying that's coming up. Yeah. And so therefore, as you remove those outward symptoms, other things emerge until we're more able to resolve the root cause. Absolutely. Yeah. One of my questions is, uh, what forms do you give? Is it through poultices, tinctures, in food, how does different herbal medicines what used? do I use? So I tend to use tincture. We were mostly yeah. taught tinctures at school, at herb schools. Tinctures are a concentrated preparation made from alcohol and water that you steep the herb in. And the concentration of alcohol and water depends on which constituents you would like to pull out of the herb. So some are only soluble in alcohol, some are only soluble in water. And if you've got, say, an aromatic herb, something like rosemary or lemon balm, you use a much higher percentage of alcohol. Likewise, if you want to pull resins out of calendula petals or something, again, you'd use a higher percentage of alcohol. So I blend together about six or seven of those herbs into one bottle. So one bottle does everything. And then they would take about five mil in 30 mil or so of water. So they're actually the, the alcohol content is actually very low. It's a convenient way for people to take herbs. It's, again, it's very versatile and you only need to have two or three teaspoonfuls a day in most cases. On top of that, I can also offer a limited amount of herbal teas, but I can also make pessaries for vaginal dryness. I make calendula pessaries. They're surprisingly hard to get hold of. They're so easy to make, but really hard to buy. So it's just, I just make them as and when I need them. Likewise, if there's a problem with something like thrush or vaginosis, then we can add in very tiny doses of essential oil that will help to combat that i've got oils that we can massage into the yes. skin so some for nerve pain and some that are powerful anti-inflammatories and some for dry skin uh what else do i have all sorts of things creams any form of medicine that you can think of i use nasal mm. inhalers sometimes which are really good for getting essential oils in and they're brilliant first aid for things like brain fog or hot blushes and they're only a that big. They're like one of the Vicks Sinex sticks, so you can carry them around with you really easily. 
and they're really quite nice oh, and things like that. Beautiful. So really, I'm not an aromatherapist, but I use pre-made blends, things like brain fog, and they work incredibly well. And I've got all sorts of things, cough syrups, inhalations, you name it. Any form of medicine that you can think of, we can make a herbal version of, really. That's fantastic, isn't it? Isn't it? I love that, that there's so many ways that people can take medicine and have it effective. And I think lots of people like that really a lot. And I think that's the versatility of herbal medicine. There's not just a tablet. Left feeling helpless and hopeless when you've got herbs. Even if someone's at very end of life, you can give them a hand massage or a foot massage or something just to help them a little bit. And you're never left in any scenario where there's absolutely nothing you can do. So I, I really love that. Yeah, me too. You specialise in working with women who haven't got HRT as an option. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit of the examples, maybe some examples of how you've then worked with your clients to improve their symptoms. A lot of them have got concerns over HRT because they might have had a history of stroke or breast cancer in the past or been advised for whatever reason not to take HRT. So they normally come with very severe menopause symptoms that they need to get on top of very quickly. And there's an element of fear sometimes with that as well. Sometimes they fear things like using phytoestrogens because they worry that might bring a cancer back or something like that. So there's a lot of talking and reassuring and educating that has to go on. But other than that, it's similar process for everyone. It's we do about an hour long consultation to begin with. And I might also take a look at their eyes because I do some iridology as well, which is not very widely practiced in the UK, although it is, it's taught in medical schools, actually, in some parts of France and Russia. And it basically allows me to assess that person's constitution by looking at their eyes. So we can't use it as a diagnostic and we can't say you've got this condition or that condition, but we can see where the high risk areas are and then use the herbs accordingly. So I build the prescription according to what they've said in their first consultation and perhaps what they're showing up in their eyes as well. And you can even get a good basic idea of what the eyes look like if they're a distance away from me and we're working online. They can send quite a good um, eye photo. Thank goodness for modern technology and we can just take a picture with a smartphone and upload it. So it's even just seeing <laughs> eye colour makes quite a difference. Yeah, and we then ongoing is ongoing monitoring basically after that. So they might be seeing me for weekly health coaching sessions and we would monitor the herbal medicine at the same time or we might just have you know on the phone every now and again. Everyone works in programs at least to begin with. I used to do pay as you go. What I found was that people were not giving the herbs a fair go because although they are wonderful and amazing and brilliant for menopause, they work faster in some people than others. So most people will see it improvement within a week or two but some constitutions again need a bit longer and people are used these days to the quick fix aren't they They're like go take your, your headache tablet and your headache or go and take your hrt and you'll feel better the same day and with herbs you sometimes allow a bit more time people weren't willing to do that so i've had to go on to programs where they stay for a minimum of eight to 12 weeks just to give the herbs a there go and we normally get about an 80 percent improvement in symptoms within eight to 12 weeks and then after that the idea is that they don't stay on herbal medicine forever but they don't wean off until they're ready to do we might start on 15 to 20 mil a day and then over a period of time we might move down to 10 and then five i'm planning to stay on five mil a day until i'm well past menopause because i've tried coming off it and it doesn't work for me so a teaspoonful a day works fine 
But the idea with herbs is that they're actually reminding your body how to function normally and giving it the resources it needs to do that. So once it's back in balance, it should be able to work. I agree that what we often are seeing is we're used to take medicine, I feel better quite quickly, and then that's it. Whereas here, that slowness, that timing, and that you're right, we are teaching the body to be well. We're putting the body back into a balance that then it's able to stay like that and self-heal we get out of balance quite quickly and that's part of being human but the huge imbalances can be corrected and then if I presume you have within there as you said diet and lifestyle changes that are helping people to stay well I see miracles every day you probably say the same with your clients people who are told that they can't be helped and you're like what are you talking about of course that's doable you know that's <laughs> Of course, we can do things with fibromyalgia and heavy bleeding and all these things. What are you talking about? You haven't got to go and have a hysterectomy. Just get on your herbs. I have actually had quite a few women who've been on the waiting list for hysterectomy because of heavy bleeding and they've cancelled it because the herbs have sorted them whilst they were waiting. They do work miracles. It's very rarely that they don't. Very lucky. That's very very true. That they can really turn somebody's health around. When you tell people you're a medical herbalist, Hannah, what kind of key questions do you get from perimenopausal women? It used to be the standard: is that the same as homeopathy, or is that the same as Chinese herbal medicine? So once we've clarified that, I get asked questions like, "Can I take it with my HRT, or do I have to stop taking the HRT?" But it's perfectly okay to take both at the same time. What I find is that some ladies who come to my clinic are on HRT but don't want to stay on it in the long term and want to use herbs to help them off or they find the HRT helps sort out some of the symptoms but not others so we use herbs to plug the gap. They ask if it's safe to take herbs when they've had cancer in the past because it's a common misconception that you can't have herbs in various different scenarios including having phytoestrogenic herbs if you've had cancer in the past and actually when I was at herb school 30 odd years ago that is what we were taught because that's what the research said at the time very limited very iffy research but since then what they found is that actually many forms of phytoestrogen are actually protective against cancer recurring because they block the estrogen receptors that the natural estrogen would want to sit on so they prevent cancers from growing being fed by that estrogen there's very strong evidence for this now but unfortunately a lot of doctors and oncologists haven't got the memo so they're still talking patients out of taking (laughs) phytoestrogens which is a bit of a shame well phytoestrogens are in so many things they're in beans and nuts and all kinds of foods and drinks that you have every day so it's really hard to avoid them but yeah (laughs) if i have a lady who Despite me saying, actually, there's strong evidence to say that it will help protect you, not cause it. If she is still very nervous at the thought of taking herbs that has strong phytoestrogens in, then we just don't use those herbs. Because it's about the patient and it's about meeting them where they're at and working with them in a way that makes them feel comfortable and helps them get on board with what you're doing. So we just don't use those herbs. It can take a bit longer and it can be a bit more of a tricky process. But it's their gig, really. If a patient says, I don't want to take those herbs, then they don't take those herbs. And that's yeah. fine. Patients are guiding their own health with the practitioner supporting them Absolutely. rather than 
this is what you must do because this is the medical protocol and that's and you don't get much choice in an allopathic practice you either don't have anything or you take it as prescribed exactly Hannah one of my questions is how do we find a good practitioner you mentioned some of that earlier on but if I'm standing here and I'm one of my listeners and I say I want to be and work with a herbalist I'm not on HRT or I want to supplement my HRT how do I go about that I offer free calls so if you like me you're welcome to get in touch and we can have a chat. I work mostly with clients in the UK, although I have had some overseas in places like Canada. Otherwise, you can look on the National Institute of Medical Herbalists website, which is www.nimh.org.uk. And there's a Find a Herbalist search facility on there that you can just put your location in and it will find the nearest herbalist. We are we're growing as a profession, which is really good, but we, there still aren't enough of us, I don't think. So depending on where in the world you are, you might still need to look at an online option. I don't know. Do you have people listening from the US as well? Lots yeah. of US listeners. So the US is a little bit tricky for us from an insurance point of view, but the American Herbalists Guild is a really good place mm. to find qualified and competent medical herbalists. That's really good to know. And I think in Europe, that would be similar that you can find people because to practice as a herbalist in Scandinavia, in Germany and France, you also have to be qualified and there will be similar uh, organizations there. Absolutely. And so there should be, really. (laughs) You and I are both in a line with that, that it is absolutely critical (laughs) that we go to people who have the proper qualifications and training to give us results that are going to work otherwise you what what are you doing you might as well just eat your own herbs then well this it's really hard to get across to people because herbal medicine is the original people's medicine it's meant for everybody regardless of income or background it's herbs are growing all around us and always have done and they're there for the taking and people think that if it's natural, it's safe, it's fine, but it's you still need to know how to use them. And it's not so much the potential for you poisoning yourself with a herb, particularly in this part of the world. It's more the advice. And if there's one thing that just makes me cringe, it's when people, like I saw on online last week, there was a lady in a menopause Facebook forum and she said, oh, I've had bloating for months and it's getting worse and it doesn't matter what I eat, this bloating's getting worse and now I'm getting tummy pain as well and I'm getting really tired. And to me, that that makes me think, oh, that might be menopause, but it's sounding like it could also be something like ovarian cancer. Not one person on that forum said, go to your GP and get that checked out, apart from me. And it's not the potential to be taking the wrong herb. It's the potential to perhaps miss something because a lot of people don't realize that medical herbalists do that as well. We're taking an hour to talk to you and go really deep into your medical history. And if there's a pattern there that makes us think that might not be menopause, that might be something else that needs to be checked, we'll say, actually, do you know what I think you could do with going back to your GP? And we'll even offer to write to your GP if you'd like us to. And the number of patients I've had over the years who've said, thank goodness I went to my GP because that was cancer. That was a brain tumour because they came to see someone like me. And people say, I can't afford to go and see a medical herbalist. And I know that there is a cost involved. But if you look at where you're at in life and how long you've put other people first and how many other people are depending on you to show up, 
if you can invest in having someone take care of you for a change and looking out for these sorts of things, I think it's worth doing. But there you go. I think there's just too much at stake. It's not just your menopausal health that you need to think of. It's the rest of your life after that. Menopause is a, a really good window of opportunity to get everything straight. So if you are able to get the right advice, get the right treatment and get yourself through, please do it. Yeah, I think that is such sound advice, Hannah, that it is your whole health, you deserve to put time and to be heard and to get the all-round support you need. Hannah, thank you for coming on Thriving Through Menopause and opening a small window to a huge subject that is Western herbal medicine. And I hope that my listeners in hearing this will be interested in exploring it more, maybe working with a herbalist to improve not just their menopause symptoms, but their whole health. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Thriving Through Menopause. If you like this podcast episode, please hop over to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com and rate and review it. And thank you if you do that because it helps others to find the show. Want more news and views on perimenopause and menopause? Then sign up to my weekly newsletter, Heart of Menopause, over on Substack. Thank you once again for listening and see you next week for another guest interview helping you to thrive through menopause.